Welcome to Beyond My Title. I'm Nikiba and I wear a variety of hats. I'm a sales advisor at a startup in New York City, but that's my nine to five. Beyond My Title, I created a skincare line in my dorm room kitchen in 2010. Three years later, I launched Cori Renee, a plant-powered skincare line that is inspired by nature and powered by plants. I am very passionate about empowering others through storytelling. I believe that we all have a unique story and it goes deeper than our title. I created this podcast to share conversations about how we identify ourselves, our work, and the legacy we wish to leave behind. This podcast was brought to you by Bib Media. Born in Brooklyn, believe the hype. Today, Chris Burnett is joining me and I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Chris is an org design consultant who has led transformative initiatives across multiple sectors, including the U.S. federal government, banking and lending, defense and space, and commercial retail. She's an innovation coach and idea accelerator, and also... She's a consultant and owner at August and received her master's in public health and public affairs from Columbia University. She can definitely speak a good amount of French and she's fluent in English. Yeah, (laughs) welcome. (laughs) (laughs) What a journey. (laughs) Yeah. So what would you say your title is? Man, um, I mean, the official title, I think, at work would be consultant and co-owner. So all of all of us in the business are are um, owners of the business as well. Um, but I do all types of stuff. Like um, I feel like I do a lot of um, innovation and design work with teams. Um, you know, my, I help my clients with strategy and uh, developing their goals and and missions and vision statements. Um, Manage just. Sometimes I'm a group therapist, you know, <laughs> so um, I, I think I, I wear many hats, lots of lots of different roles that I play with the clients that I work with. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you here just to share more on your experiences wearing many hats. Yeah. So what was childhood Chris like? What was your oh childhood gosh. like? I was in like every activity possible. Um, since I can remember, I was in like dance class. I was a gymnast almost. from when I was like eight or nine until I like left college you know (laughs) Um, but I was always I was always active and I was always like um, trying to learn something new I think the harder the task was the more I would try to take it on and I think that resonates in you know the work that I'm doing now it's like if it's something that's gonna push me to the edge and like really challenge me like that's the work that I want to be doing so yeah, that was like my childhood in a nutshell. My mom could tell you stories for days about like how I would just like kill myself over like thousand piece puzzles or like whatever, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, so yeah, yeah, I think that's my childhood in a nutshell. What were you curious about? I have no idea. Um, I always really liked math. Like math was always a big puzzle to me. Um, so like games, puzzles like and I always liked being outside and I mean I was one of those kids where I I don't know if they still use the term like latchkey kids like does it do they even exist anymore (laughs) I don't know that's a good question I I haven't Um, heard that but yeah yeah yeah, like you know I was a latchkey kid I walked to and from school by myself from the age of like seven or eight or whatever um and you know I was like you know one of those kids like all all do your homework go outside until like the street lights come on Mm -hmm. you know um so always outside like just trying to learn more about the world and like how things tick and I think that's what really drove me um you know once I got you know out of 
high school and primary school to just go see the world. And um, that's also like one of my biggest hobbies too, is traveling, so yeah. Where are some of your favorite places to travel? Yeah, man. Um, you know what's interesting? I think um, I've I've been to parts of Africa, not not many. So I've been to Kenya, South Africa, and um, Namibia, and I've also been to Morocco. Um, and going to going to countries where, and also I can bucket Trinidad in in, in mm-hmm. that um, that bucket as well. But going to places where everyone is black <laughs> or like m- the majority of the country is black businesses are black owned the government is run by by black people um and obviously like in those countries they don't call themselves black but for me to see that experience yeah. as an american is just incredible um so going to places like that and i think like i think kenya was the one that really stuck with me um it's just it's a different world it's just a different world so it's just it's just incredible to see yeah as an American it's so amazing being able to visit the continent you know oh yeah I visited Nigeria and I had a similar experience where I was like there's black business owners yes everywhere that I'm going yeah there's nothing but people that look just like me and it was just like such a colorful country to see like all of the different clothing and taste the different foods and exactly it was just a really really special experience there's so many places in Africa that I mm-hmm. need to go, like so many countries, and definitely um, Nigeria is one of those, especially with like the technology and the innovation happening. Um, yeah, I've got a long list of places I still need to visit for sure. A whole world to see. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Philly. It was, well, suburb right outside of Philly. Um, lived there until I was 18 and went to college, so yeah. Did you travel as a child, or did you more so start traveling as an adult? No, I would say as a child, like, you know, single parent home, um, our vacations were like the beach, you know, mm-hmm. going we're going down the shore is what we say, you know, yeah. uh, to New Jersey beaches or Delaware beaches. But um, that's pretty much as far as we went. I think I remember one time, I will never forget this, in, in, I was in the sixth grade and my mom, my aunt and our, my cousins, we all drove down to Florida <laughs> and we went, we went to um, Disney World um, Disney World, yeah, it was in Florida, yeah. um, and that was like the furthest I'd ever, ever been in my life. <laughs> yeah, in a car with your family. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we we had to, um, you know, like we had to like record the mixtape on like from the radio. So you had to like put the cassette in and like record and like make your mixtape so that you yeah. could listen to it in the car. Yeah, that that's <laughs> classic times. Yeah, yeah. Staying out till the street lights come on, yeah. listening to or making CDs or cassettes. Yeah, I, yeah. I think a lot of us, exactly. this generation doesn't necessarily. Like, what is a cassette? Yeah. <laughs> floppy disk? Yeah, what? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw this meme. It was like a picture of a floppy disk and someone wrote, um, did someone 3D print a save icon? I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. 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 Did you have one of those? Um, I remember in elementary school, when the Apple computer had like the color, different color colors um, for the back of the monitor <laughs> yeah. and all of that, it was in the school. Yeah. But did, yeah. do you remember seeing? So we had the ones before that. Okay. So it was like still like that boxy looking TV. I thing. remember that one too. And the floppy disks were like the real floppy disks, and the only games you like the only thing you could do on the computer was like paint and like Oregon Trail. Oregon Trail. Oh my gosh, that was <laughs> <Yeah>. the best. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um 
Yeah, but we never had, like, my mom worked for um, a really big uh, technology company, so we, we always got, like, the, the discount, like, computers. It was always, like, Microsoft, so I was, like, Microsoft forever, but, yeah. 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 What, were you, what were you influenced by um, in your childhood through adolescence? It's so funny. Um, so I was, like, heavy. I was heavy in, in dance and gymnastics, and... Like the person, like the one, if I could think of a person that I looked up to was like Dominique Dawes. Do you remember that? Like, yes. what was yes. it? What were they like the, the the Magnificent Seven or something? Yeah, and it was like 1996. Like I was like 10 or 11, and <laughs> that like that's what I looked up to. Was like this is a team. They got it together, and there was like Dominique Dawes, who was like the one black girl yeah. on the team who was like killing it, you know. Um, so like she was, she was my childhood inspiration, and mm-hmm. and I also had a uh, in middle school I had an obsession with Michael Jackson. I don't know why. I don't know why it was totally a phase, but like everything was Michael Jackson, and I think it was because he was like this really great artist, just For like sure. could dance, Legendary. could write, could sit, you know, he could do it all. So, yeah, yeah, but. Yeah, it was crazy, wow. crazy times. <laughs> Definitely. The 90s. <laughs> the 90s. And, and it's crazy because it just feels good to, like, have been born in the 80s to be yeah. able to embrace the 90s. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I just, you know, it's a completely different. Yeah. Like, I'm a millennial, but I still was born, like, 89, so I get to remember yeah. what the 90s I'm were like. I'm a little bit older millennial than you, but, yeah, I, like, totally. Like, I was, I think kindergarten was, like, 1990 or something. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I started school in the 90s. 90s yeah 90s and early uh, early childhood yeah. <laughs> when did you say that you embraced your queer identity I would say so I would say like I I realized that I was that I had this queer identity and at the time obviously I didn't know what that meant mm-hmm. right because um, queer was like not a word it was like you're gay or you're lesbian or you're bisexual like it it was like and the reason why I didn't feel like I identified with either either of those terms because it was very like um, focused on like the activity that you did in the bedroom. It mm-hmm. wasn't like your lifestyle, your identity, like how you present yourself to the world. Um, and so, you know, in college, I worked in the health center, which was right next door to the LGBT center. So I started to learn more of the terms. You know, I had some friends, like I went to Penn State, like no one was out at Penn State. There were like, it was the bold folks who were out, yeah. especially in like the early 2000s. Like now I think it's like a very different world where you can be out and queer and gay or you can identify as, as whatever you want, but it was just not like that for me mm-hmm. in college, especially not like where I went to school, you know? Um, but I would say like, like after I finished undergrad, like for better or for worse, it was 2007 and it was just before the stock market crashed. Literally no one was hiring, like no one was hiring. So like all me and all my friends, we were like, we worked our asses off in college. We yeah. can't get a damn job. It was like, you know, I went back to like babysitting and like my, my jobs that I was doing in like, you know, summer internships mm-hmm. and high school. Um, so that I took that year to apply for graduate schools, and I and I thought to myself like, if I want to embrace my queer identity, if I want to feel open and honest with who I am and who I who I you know feel in in my heart that I I I, I am, um, I want to go to a place where I can be that person Um, because I wasn't that person at the time. So honestly, like I applied to schools in New York, 
and Atlanta. Yeah. Like, that's where I, apply. I was like, I'm going to the queer places, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I landed in New York. And, um, yeah, I, I think it was, like, taking that pause to really reflect on, like, not just the what I wanted to do with my future, and thankfully, I you know, looking, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. But thankfully, taking that year off, slowing down, like we just talked about this, slowing down to speed up, mm-hmm. taking that time to slow down, really think about like who 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 is Chris, right? Um, and I think that was like probably like the most important thing for me to really come into my identity as a queer woman, queer black woman too, because you know. They're, they overlap in a lot of ways. Um, and that was really coming to New York, honestly. Um, it was completely different world for me. Yeah. What was it like coming to New York from, at the time you were, were you going from Penn State to, to New York or were you in Philly to New yeah, York? Yes, so I went from Penn State back home to Philly and then came to New York. And I mean, my God, like, I mean, I had visited New York maybe a a number of times just to see my family. They're like way out in like Canarsie. So okay, yeah. when we came up, we would go through Staten Island, <laughs> up like 78, and like go Belt straight Parkway. to like, yeah, like we didn't we didn't go into the city, right? Mm-hmm. Um so the future so so I was applying to Columbia, which is where I ended up and you know, my mom and I came up and you know, we took the train and like did all the things and I was just like you know, you get off at like Forty uh, Second Street, of course, because you know you got to go see Times Square, and it was just like, oh my god, these <laughs> lights! What is going on? There's like people in costumes. Like this is just weird. Yeah, and I was just like, I'm yeah, I'm I'm coming here, and it was I was boiled. My my graduate school was either going to be Emory or Columbia, mm-hmm. so I. I had visited Atlanta like two months before, and then I came to New York. I was like, "I'm this is this is home, right?" Yeah. And as soon as I got here, it just felt like this warm welcome. And um, you know, starting starting school, like everyone, you know, in grad school, you're all there to do schoolwork, but like no one knows each other. So it was like kindergarten <laughs> all over like, again. Hey, my name is yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, which was a different experience than um, in undergrad starting as a freshman. Mm-hmm. I think it was a lot of like, um, you know, this queer space like that wasn't we couldn't you know we didn't name it at the time, but like, you know, we went to the school of public health, school of public affairs. We were like smack in the middle of New York City, and there were just different people with different vibes and I just like tried so hard to like figure out who my crew was um and thankfully like the people that I needed just were already surrounding Mm me um and so it made it very easy for me to like find my comfort zone find find my flow and like put myself into those queer spaces where I felt like more comfortable being myself what is it to be queer as opposed to being gay or bisexual I mean that's the thing like Everyone's gonna define it differently. Like mm-hmm. I know, um, who is it? Uh, Jeanette, um, Janelle Monet. Mm-hmm. You know, she she you know describes herself as pansexual, right? She, I could probably label be labeled that, right? Um, someone who doesn't you know feely can be sexually attracted to any gender, fluid or binary, whichever. Um, but to me, it it's still like that defines what you do, right? Um, And so when I say queer, that's my identity because that's who I am, that's how I dress, that's how I do my hair, that's Mm -hmm. how I speak. Those are the people who surround me, those are the the spaces that I wanna be in. Um, 
those are the types of parties I want to go to. Um, and it's this sense of like being open to what's not considered the norm, right? And like you could say that like most of Brooklyn is pretty queer, Absolutely. right? <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah. you know, it's up to you to identify mm-hmm. how you want and how you wish. And so, um, you know, some people might say like, yes, I'm, I'm a lesbian or I'm, you know, I'm gay. And that's just who they are. Um, but I think, you know, queer for me is, is not what I do. It's like the identity that I hold in spaces that I, that I frequent or mm-hmm. occupy or whatever. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes from your, from your website is, bringing your whole self to work as a revolutionary act. And yeah. I just, you know, I'm completely inspired by that. And I think that that's something that we should all be able to do. Yeah. Please tell me more about how you're trying to, you know, essentially encourage others to do so in your work. Yeah, I mean, bringing your whole self to work is very easy for most, for some people, for some people, not most people. Um, Bringing your whole self to work means different things for different people. I think um, for a lot of people, and I can only speak for the black experience, is that, um, and the queer experience, honestly, like, you know, you can, I can hide my queer identity, like, because I look very feminine, and so people aren't going to confuse my pronouns or or what have you. Um, And they're not going to know, like, my sexual orientation unless they ask or unless I bring it up. So it's like, you know, then there's like this identity of blackness that I can't turn off, right? It's just gonna show up no matter what, wherever I go. And, um, you know, we we have to, a lot of times black folks need to code switch in order to assimilate to what is usually in workspaces, a predominantly white male dominated culture. And um, telling yourself not to code switch Right. That's that's the idea of like bringing your whole self to work and like bringing that revolutionary act. And that doesn't mean like, you know, you just get to do and say whatever you want. It just means that your perspective, you bring your perspective and you make your perspective heard in whichever ways or whichever avenues that you try in your workspaces. Right. Um, And. Sometimes it's like having the unpopular opinion, right? And that, I mean, I I would say that happens a lot at my time at August. I am the only um, black identifying person um, in the business, and I have always been the only black identifying person in the business since my my time. Um, And so, you know, saying like, bring your whole self to work is totally easy to say. It's definitely not hard to do because, you know, it's like, do I wanna fight this battle today? Do I have the energy for it? Is anyone gonna listen to me? Am I gonna have to educate them on this thing if I bring it up? And so it's, you know, we play these mind games with ourselves. And so, you know, saying bringing your whole self to work as a revolutionary act is really trying to bring yourself in such a way that you don't have to put up those walls or those barriers and that you can actually, yeah, you don't don't have to, you know, it's like those memes where it's like, at work and like the guy in like the suit and the tie yeah. and then like you know the black guy in the suit and the tie and then when he leaves work he's like got his Tim's on and his like yeah, his, yeah. yeah his like you yeah. know his his New York Yankees cap but yeah. you know but that's like that's how we have to play the game a lot mm-hmm. of times um so what I what I try to do with um you know the teams that I work with is really um and we talked about this it's it's um redoing the processes that shift mindsets that change behaviors, right? And so it's definitely not something that happens 
two in two weeks, a month, <laughs> a year. It takes time, and um, you know, having that patience is also something that, like, we as people as color, people of color, or black women, or black queer women, have to sort of like, you know go through that process of patience, right? Um, so I would say with the teams that we work with, again, it's like instilling a new process that brings all voices to the table, allows everyone to share their perspective without judgment or um, you know, fear of like retribution or um, condemnation, right? Um, and so we're trying to do just little things like that where you can try to, you can, you can have a little bit more ease of bringing yourself to work so you don't have to fight that first battle which is just being able to speak at the table. Um, so that's how we try to approach it, right? Change the process, change the mindset, eventually you change behaviors and how people think. Um, so that's a little bit of the piece, pieces of how, you know, within my work that I try to work with teams to restructure um, so that people can truly feel like they can bring them whole, their whole selves to work. So, One thing that I remember um, about the last time that I saw you here at, um, at f from August yeah. um, was that you had your head wrapped. And yeah. that's something that I love to do, but it's something that I feel like a lot of us feel, you know, maybe in your household, you've grown up with a mom or whoever, and they're just like, don't wear that outside. Yeah. You can't have your hair, your hair yeah, wrapped sure. and things like that. So it's like, you know, really embracing who you are how you feel if you have your twist out underneath your head wrap and you just you're not ready <laughs> right. to take those twists out you can wear your head wrap and you can continue to do the incredible work that you're doing each day and yeah you know it's yeah. just another this is just me or you you yeah. know it's just us yeah so yeah. it's it's being you know able to just really embrace what yeah. makes us different absolutely i mean I'll, I'll wear my head wrap here. Some clients I probably won't yeah. or ever will. Yeah. Um, but you know, you just you know you know your space. You know you mm -hmm. know what's acceptable. Um, but yeah, I, I my 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 mom is a I guess she's a baby baby boomer. Like you know, super cautious, very conservative. So yes. like you know. We didn't wear braids unless it was like summertime and we didn't have to go to school, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, the skirt always had to be below the knee. Like, yes. it was just like ultra conservative. Um, so, yeah, totally. Like, you know, you want to wear your head wrap. Like, she would only wear it in the house. It's like, no, you yeah. do not go outside like that type of thing. So, yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, and of course, like, the way she was raised, you know, the way that we experience the world right now, it's complete, it's two different worlds, right? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a shift in, in our culture for sure. Definitely. But still has a long, long, long way, to, way go. to go. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. when would you say you started down your path that led you here? You mean at August? How, what led me here to August? Yeah. Um, and just where you are in your journey right now. I wish I could answer that. <laughs> That's a loaded <laughs> one. Um, so what started me down my path? Um, I graduated in 2011 from Columbia and I was kind of like on two different tracks. It was like go out into the world and do work or, you know, stay in academia, do research. And I just realized like research was not my thing because I wanted to go like do stuff with real people and, and make changes. Um, and so I went to D.C. Like most people <laughs> out of out of Columbia, you, you go to a concert consulting firm, you learn the the rules and the tricks of the trade, and um, that's where I really started. So I was I was in D.C. working for federal clients, and I was really lucky to get like a badass team of women that like I would say like you know in consulting terms like I like grew up with them, and they like 
taught me like how to be a professional. Like, yeah. <laughs> when I started, it was like a hot mess, right? Like, and like I had these like, like just these great women be like, look, girl, you're not wearing that. Like, you gotta like step it up. Yeah. Like, Forever 21 is not the business. Yes. Like, welcome to Zara, right? Like, so, um, but also just like, you know. <laughs> so necessary. Yeah. You gotta have those people in your life. Right, exactly. I was out here looking a hot mess. Um, so yeah, so, so I was doing, you know, your traditional consulting, you know year-long project, five-phase thing, strategy, development, execution, like, the whole nine. Um, and that kind of got, like, boring. The projects were really long. They they were slow. And I was like, okay, I want to move into something more fast-paced. So, so that's why I ended up back in New York working in the financial sector, um, mostly in banking and lending. And doing consulting there was a little bit different. Um, the words were different. The swag was different. Um, but it was still the same thing. It was, like, super slow. We would spend, like, a week creating these, like, elaborate looking decks that like no one looked at except for like the executive inside of the company that um, that I worked for so it was not like going in front of a client Um, and so yeah it was just like I was just like fed up with that right and like everything was something that was someone else's idea that was dictated down to me and I just couldn't change anything it was just like either get like get in line or like you can get out and so I got out yeah (laughs) um and my hope was to look for something that was like not a big business um but more small business I wanted to like learn that entrepreneurial side of things and like sort of like test the waters with my own entrepreneurial spirit so to speak um and I was looking for organizations that were thinking about change in a way that was not the five-phase approach do a bunch of research create a pretty deck and like kind of disappear and not to knock on consultants who do that, that's important, it just wasn't for me. Um, and so I was looking for people who were really thinking about how people work together in a different way. How does change happen in a way that is really collaborative versus like top down? Um, and so that's that's how I found August and it's <laughs> so interesting. Um, I found August through a podcast ad that they ran on another round. I don't know if you, wow. yeah. So um, they ran the ad it was like a month long, like once like once a week for, for that month. And it was like really popular like episodes, like Lynn manuel Miranda was on one of the episodes. Um, M- Melissa Harris-Perry was on one of the episodes. So like, I was I was listening to it and I was like, oh, this is, this is, this is like, this is, this is a sign. Like yeah. maybe I should go apply. Definitely. Um, yeah, so I, so um, I think it was like episode three. I finally decided like, all right, I'm, I'm gonna check them out and apply. And so I applied and got an email in like less than an hour. It's probably like 25 minutes from Mark, <laughs> um, one of the, one of our founders. And three weeks later, I was here. So yeah, it was super quick, very quick. Yeah. So what was it like starting and working with August in 2016? Yeah, okay. 2016. I mean, I had to unlearn all of the like bad work processes um, that I was fighting against, right, Um, inside of the organizations that I had been working in before. And so um, it just basically turned my whole world upside down. They were like, here's a MacBook. And I'm like, I don't know how to use this thing. (laughs) 
you're on a viewer using that like, Microsoft PC. I was like, where's the right click on this thing, yeah. right? Like, I had no idea how to use a MacBook. Anyways, um, so like, they're like, here's a MacBook, here's Slack, here's Trello, and I'm like, I literally, are you speaking a different language? Like, what is this? Yeah. Um, but like, it just opened my world up, uh, you know, opened my mind up to this new world of like transparency, open communication, sharing, progress over perfection, like all of these things that like, I had been told in my previous roles, like, no, 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 we don't share the deck until like it's perfect, right? And like, no, 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 like don't CC that person on that email because like they they can't know about it, right? And those are like instilling weird behaviors, right? Um, and so unlearning a lot of that stuff was like, <laughs> like, yeah, it was like sink or swim. But like, yeah. luckily, luckily, um, when I joined, I was, um, there was the five founders and they had hired someone who had, they had previously had known and worked with before. So I was like number seven. So I had like all the handholding that I needed, <laughs> which is not the same for the new folks who come in and join now. But like, yeah, I, I, I had like all the privilege of being the new, like ignorant person to like everything. Um, so yeah, I, I was able to like swim, <laughs> I guess. Progress yeah. over, over perf- perfection. Wow, that that's so I, yeah. like like what you're saying about transparency. I feel like there's so many. You know, it's like it's hard being in those environments where there's just no transparency yeah. because everyone's on a completely different page. Yeah. So yeah. what was it like finally being somewhere where you're a part of? You know, you're you're really instilling that in your team and then also your clients. Like, what was it like translating that? to your clients? Yeah, I mean, my first, um, I think, what was it? Like my first like document and it was like, of course we used Google Docs, right? So yeah. like everyone has access to everything. On the cloud. Exactly. <laughs> and like everyone can access all files in the, in the you know, the company Google Drive. And so I think it was like um, this one project I was like observing and they were like, yeah, just, just take some notes in a Google Doc. And I'm like, how should I structure my notes? Like, do you have a template? Is there a format that you want me to deliver these notes in? And they were like, just type something in a document. Like, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so unlearning all of that, like, um, that, like, hierarchy sort of, like, uh, that mentality of, like, it has to be perfect before anyone sees it. And then just trying to, like, create a Google document without asking any questions and just, like, typing words into <laughs> into a doc um, and I had to unlearn that right and so when I go into my clients you know they're trying to unlearn the same stuff so I have to share with them and like most mostly everyone all the founders and like they never worked for like a big consulting firm so they never had like those layers of hierarchy and management that come with like working with like a traditional consulting firm so um, you know, I have that experience of unlearning, right? And so when I when I bring these ideas like prov- progress over perfection, bias to action, you know, um, those sorts of things that like really get us motivated and excited about our work, or like safe to try, like try a new idea and like experiment, right? That is not something you can do inside of a lot of workplaces, For right? Sure. So I can speak from that experience of going from like like classic traditional workspace to like this new innovative experimental like thinking about the end user or the customer first type of mentality um and so i bring those learnings with me and try to like piece by piece like you know that hand holding that my my colleagues did with me to really undo some of that those mindsets that hold us back from like you know either bringing our whole self to work or you know 
doing our best work the, the way that we know best. So, yeah. What challenges have you faced when working with clients through the unlearning process? Oh, man. Um, I think the biggest thing is um, undoing some of the power structure, right? I think it's like that management layer where like your job is to tell people what to do and how to do it and pull out that red pen and like, you know, X out everything. Like, you know, saying like, no, 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 just let your team try this thing or, you know, it doesn't matter if it's perfect. Like, just put it out into the world and see what reaction you get. Um, there's this. There's a lot of, um, I would say, resistance from from those types of people because what you're asking them to do is undo that and learn how to be a leader, how to get your team what they need, um, how to get them unblocked from processes or people who are standing in their way. And that's a different that's a different mindset, right? That's a different skill set. Um, you know, not managing people, but developing people. Like, again, those are two different mindsets. So we get a little, I think that's my biggest challenge in a lot of places, like undoing that mindset and giving up some of that implicit power that exists inside of inside of those traditional hier- hierarchical organizations. I feel like everything that you're saying is so heavy because so many of us have experienced that. And it yeah. is just like... You know, as as an employee, you want your, you know, your team to unlearn different things mm-hmm. or you're trying to unlearn the hierarchy that you might have in your head for like what your next move would be. Yeah. How does life outside balance your work? Oh, man. Um, so I really like like I said before, like I, I love to be outside. Um I run, I bike, I swim, I longboard. That's something new for me. I saw that yeah, on, on your Instagram. Instagram. I was like, okay, this is really cool, yeah. longboarding. Yeah, so like, I think what, you know, I've I've run marathons because I'm ridiculous. Like, I just, I try to set these goals for myself to achieve and then I have this like sense of accomplishment, right? Um, and so I think that's what like, that's the one big thing that I bring into work that that keeps me balanced outside of work is like it doesn't have to be a competition like most marathons like you're not going to win unless you're like this elite crazy like runner um but that sense of accomplishment right again like that progress over perfection like it takes a lot of work to to train for a marathon without a doubt you're giving up time you're giving up weekends in the summer like you're waking up at like 6 a.m so you can beat like the 90 degree weather that hits at like 10 a.m in the morning so you're like you're, you're, you're focused, you're, and, and every, you know, every time you go out to run, it's not going to be perfect. Um, it's not going to feel good every single time. Some days are going to be better than others, but as long as you stick to that goal and you persevere and like bringing that into the client work, like stick to the goal, persevere, look at the mission, look at the goal, the ultimate goal. Every day is going to look different, but just stay focused on where we're headed. Again, just iterate on what you learned yesterday and how to improve for the day ahead. Um, and just those like little things that you can that I do outside of work to stay balanced is like the way that I approach the work and how I sort of bring that um, mindset into the work that I do with my clients as well. Um, because some days are going to be awful, right? But like again, like why are we here? Like why are we here to do this work? What is our north star? What are the values that we bring into the workplace and the work that we're trying to do? And making sure that those are always center of of the work that we're we're trying to tackle at any given time. Yeah. How was it living abroad, and where did you live? Oh, 
yeah. Um, yeah, so I lived in Toulouse, France, which is in the south. It's very close to um, the Pyrenees Mountains, which is the border between France and Spain. Um, and it was nice living there. It sounds gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's not on the French Riviera, which is what most people think when they hear about the south of France. But um, it was a little bit more in the mountains, so um, it was very windy. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was different. And I would say, like, I've what I'm going to tell you is probably not something that I've ever said in public before. So, like, this will be the first time for me, like, expressing this. Um, I, I went to France knowing a little bit of the language, knowing very little about the culture. And I had, you know, I was there pretty much by myself. Like, you know, no one from my team was also moving there. So it was just me. Um, you know, other folks helped me with the work, but it was just me, like, there with the client. And moving to France was, like, a huge eye-opener for how to, just how to live your life, right? How to um, take breaks, how to get a coffee and go for a walk outside even when it's, like, 30 degrees out, you know? Um how to just pause and breathe, how to take a vacation, how to slow down and like not live in this rat race that we do, especially in New York and like big cities. Um, and like going to France, I somehow like didn't have to like fight or like stand up for who I was so hard. Which is strange. Um, so, like, I didn't have to, like, defend my blackness, right? I didn't have to defend why I do a thing a certain way or, like, who would, who I am when I show up. Like, honestly, like, the thing was, oh, you're American. Or, you know, it was, it was very, like, cultural-centered versus, like, race-centered, which was, like, a completely different experience for me than anything I had ever dealt with before in the United States where, like, you know, race is 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 a big topic of how we identify ourselves whereas like in France it was the culture you come from right so like saying I was black and American made no sense it was I'm American yep. right um maybe that's how it should be I don't know um but it was just a different experience for me um I had this weird unearned like respect that I didn't have to fight for when I go into client offices right um so like here in the United States I often feel like um, I have to, I have to prove my, my, my expertise before people, you know, are willing to like listen to me a lot of times. Whereas like in France, it was like, you're the expert here. We're listening to you until you like do something to like unlearn, un, like take away the trust that we put, have put into you. You, you, you come with this earned respect. Um, and it was just like, Again, it was just a different culture, different way of, you know, really seeing the world. And for me, for the for the year that I spent in France, I learned this new sense of confidence that I just never had before. Um, and coming back to the United States was like so hard for me because I felt like I was, you know, giving up something coming yeah. back. Um, but for me, it was it was really it was really fascinating. And now I'm trying to like you know, make sure that I bring that same confidence in any of the client organizations that, I, that I'm that i in now that I'm back in the States. Um, but that was just definitely something that I was, you know, not expecting. Yeah. Um, but I, I just had to lean into it because I was like, I don't know the next time this is going to happen. For sure. You know. Um, Why do you think that is? I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. 
I don't know. And 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 I and I and again, I don't know if it's because. And I'm not saying like there's no racism in France or there's yeah. no racism. In, like that would be, that would be BS, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it just wasn't the thing that I had to tackle every day. You know, I didn't feel like I had to code switch, um, but also a lot of things I was given permission to be different and weird because I was American. The most of the times, the only American in the room, right? Um, so yeah, it was it was fascinating for sure. And you gained so much from it. I learned a lot about myself. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot about my self confidence and you know how I show up in in spaces. Um, and there's nothing out of all the time that I spent with the client and spent with you know, spent doing the work. That was the one lesson that I brought home with me, you know? Um, yeah. How do you recharge your batteries, Chris? <sighs> swimming. You're going. Swimming. Swimming on the, on the, uh, on the weekends. Um, you know, you can't take your phone, can't take your headphones, you know, you're just, it's just you and the element, right? Mm-hmm. Um, listening to your own breathing, right? It's very similar, I guess, to like meditative yoga or anything like that, but I'm not the type of person who can sit and like do yoga or like sit and do meditation. So I would say like swimming is my meditation these days at least. What's bringing you joy these days? Oh man. Um, So I just moved to Chicago a couple of weeks ago. So just Chicago is not like, I'm, I'm also vegan. And Chicago is like not at all a vegan friendly city. And my, it, moving to Chicago also meant like me and my partner moved in t- together. So like Joy is like trying to like cook in the kitchen because like we can never go out on date date nights unless it's like, you know, this one little like vegan shop that we go to all the time, right? Yeah. Um, so like trying to cook in the kitchen together, it's like a, it's a really fun experience between the two of us. And we're both, like our biggest fights are like, I want to make I want to make the chili tonight. Like no 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 I'm making the tacos. No no I don't I don't want lentils in the tacos. I want, I want peppers. Like it's just hilarious. Yeah, I love that joy <laughs> yeah. is bringing you joy in yeah. your new home in Chicago. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, wonderful. So how how is it now that you live together? Like how has that been? Yeah, it's <laughs> that transition. It's so funny because so we were always long distance. Mm-hmm. I I'm, I met my partner. Um, when he, he was still living in um, Texas and I was still living in New York and then I went to France for a year which is like holy holy crap like how are you going to make this work um, and then we eventually you know when I was coming back um, and he's he's in school getting his PhD so we're like I don't know about New York you know it's going to be a little expensive if only one of, our, one of us is like working full time so we decided you know on Chicago and that's where he's from um, and you know it's so interesting because it's like every day like you're here like what are you what are you doing here? Why are you sitting on the couch? Like what? Like what do you like? I wake up and like you're here again. Yeah. Like, so <laughs> just learning that is interesting. So that's awesome. Yeah. I ask because I I moved in with my boyfriend last year, so it's yeah. always interesting to like yeah. hear how it is when you first move yeah. in together. It's like a different adjustment. I didn't I didn't think we were gonna make it out of the IKEA situation when we like went to go look at furniture and stuff and <laughs> it was just like I was like this is definitely like like we, we made a joke about it afterwards like if you and your partner can make it through Ikea like you can make it through anything. That's real. <laughs> right? That's so real. And, like I, I think we spent like we were probably there for four hours trying to pick out like three things which yeah. was like a couch a table and like a set of t- it was ridiculous but it was just it was like now it's funny but like it was <laughs> 
awful. For sure. Yeah. 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 No, so. on my last trip to Ikea, my boyfriend sat, we sat down and he was like, okay, so what's on the list? And I was like, I don't have a list. And yeah. that's where I was like, okay, this is like a yeah. real shopping <laughs> experience, you know? And then, of course, we picked like the worst furniture, like a white couch. Like, why? <laughs> like, it makes Wine no spills. Right. I can see it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, yeah. hopefully you have a good fabric um, spray to protect it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, nothing is, nothing dramatic has happened to the couch yet but um, it's it's bound to happen it's a white couch <laughs> yeah. like come on anyways <laughs> so what's next for you chris oh what's next thinking about 2019 you know um i think really for me is trying to do some of the same work that i'm doing in other places where i haven't worked before um in organizations that truly need uh you know a moment of change um or you know a structure for how to how to make change happen in a way that is collaborative and um i don't want to like say the types of clients that i'm that i'm like going after but like they're like the organizations that are like in the front and center of dealing with the changes that have come down from like the Trump administration and like what it means to be a healthy functioning adult in society. And, um, you know, I want to work with those groups that are really thinking about the changes that have happened with this, you know, new president uh, and administration and like what's to come ahead for 2020. Um, and those are the places that I really want to put my put my energy in because those are the people who are going to be on the front lines making changes for the next big, hopefully, <laughs> knock on wood, the next big administration that comes in um, to to govern the U.S. Like it's out of control right it's now. So out of control. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what what do you um, what would you say is like if you were to share one of your self care tips, what would it be? Yeah, I need to take some of my own self-care tips and use them for myself. But honestly, um, you know, just taking a, a, a pause, like a pause to breathe, you know, like sometimes it's just, you know, I have all these like little like games and stuff around my apartment. So like things that I don't have any clue how to do, like um or like origami, like folding, just folding paper, the art of like using your hands and like not thinking about your phone or the TV and like just concentrating on one thing at a time. And for me, that that's my sense of self-care. Um, just like refocusing my mind around something that, you know, is it either isn't work or isn't the next goal, but just like something to do for the sake of doing it, right? Um, so I've been trying to do like puzzles again, like the stuff, that, the things that I really loved from like Second being a childhood. kid, yeah. yeah, like puzzles and like using my hands to like either draw like those adult like coloring books and like just little things For like sure. that. Um, and those are the things that I think help me turn, turn off um, and just, you know, take care of myself. Yeah. What do you want your legacy to be? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a big question. Um, I just hope that people, um, when they think about me, you know, they think like, I feel good when I'm around Chris, like she makes me feel good. Um, and I think that for me would be, that would be enough. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for joining yeah. Beyond My Title today. I'm so happy to yeah. have you on. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for this. Absolutely. This was really special. Yes. Yeah. I'm so happy. Yeah. Where can listeners find you? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Chris, K-R-Y-S underscore Burnett, B-U-R-N-E-T-T-E. And I also have my website, which is ChrisBurnett.com, which I don't update as much as I should. Um, and, you know, if you Google my name, you can find me on LinkedIn. And um, I think my Medium account pops up. So, yeah, just keep keep in touch. But, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, all those places. Your articles on Medium are amazing, and I <laughs> highly recommend that everyone that's listening yeah. to check them thank out. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Yay. Thank you. I would love to hear from you. Reach out and share more about how you're living life beyond your title at beyondmytitle at gmail.com. Follow along on social media at Beyond My Title and like, share, and subscribe to hear the latest episodes first. This podcast was brought to you by Bib Media. Born in Brooklyn, believe the hype.